You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. Hey, Mitch! And on today's episode of Hey Mitch, I have a special guest, Matt Storm, a.k.a. Matt Stormageddon from the Screen Snark podcast. He had me on not too long ago, and I am happy to have him on this episode. Hi, Matt. Hi. Glad to be here, Mitch. It's good to chat with you. Yeah, I know. It's great to chat. It was great to be on your show. Your show was so much fun. Uh, You know... Let me ask you this. I mean, have you have you like come across a lot of things that either Rachel has uh, brought to the table or your guest has brought to the table to and that that you went to watch afterwards and like found it great? Absolutely. Constantly. Um, It's so funny. Also, I just want to say at the beginning that you brought up Screen Snark and it's always interesting to me. I've guessed it on several podcasts and the host will either, if they've been on none of my shows, bring up all of them and inundate their (laughs) listeners. Or if they've been a guest, will go, I was on this podcast. Now I have them on my podcast. And it's always interesting to me. And then some some people introduce me and don't even just say I'm a podcaster and don't say any specific shows. So I love the fact that you mentioned the show you were on because I think that's a great story. Starting point for folks who may yes. want to dive into the Stormageddon universe. Uh, <laughs> and we can talk more about that later. But yeah, so Screen Snark at its inception was Rachel's idea, 110%. Um, and I'm just lucky enough to be a part of it. And it started as a movie podcast. The first, I want to say 20-something episodes, maybe a little less. Um, it was just whatever the most recent movie you saw was, new or old, you brought it on the show and discussed it. So the format itself hasn't changed, but after a while, a lot of folks were like, can I talk about TV? Or I watched this documentary on YouTube, and we're like, you know what, let's broaden it to just media. Not excluding video games, because I already have two video game podcasts anyway, but also, <laughs> it's video games are different in the fact that it's interactive you have to do something with it and Mm -hmm. the idea was we wanted to do a show about passive media media that we just take in that we don't control the narrative of and even that like rachel talked about the bandersnatch thing on i was gonna ask you about that yeah and that's technically different um but yeah there have been tons of shows that i had had not no interest in but like i had heard of and had had a passing interest in and then someone talked about it and i was like all right I guess I got to go watch this thing or I have to go check it out. Um, I, of course, now I'm drawing a blank at, oh, uh, I know. It's the John John Wick series jumps out at me the most. Um, I had never seen any of the John Wick movies. And then not only had Patrick Willems, a uh, reputable YouTuber and internet personality, had been yelling about them for years, but then Rachel... Uh, had also watched them and talked, I think her mom was a guest. Yes. Her mom was a guest and talked about them (laughs) as well and was so excited about it. And it was adorable. And I was like, all right, I have to watch these John Wick movies. And so my spouse and I actually, uh, watched the first two. We rented the first two on 
Amazon, watched them back to back, and then as soon as and we just missed the third one in theaters. Oh. So as soon as it came to to Amazon, we rented that one also, and we loved all three of them. And like, <laughs> I I'm mad that I waited this long to watch them because they are just some of the best, most ridiculous action movies I've ever seen. Right. <laughs> so did you did you by chance happen to have or happen to watch the new Extraction movie uh, on Netflix? It's it's being compared to John Wick essentially. I have not yet. I've heard good things. I don't know. Like, I have this thing about military movies in the same way I have about military shooting games. Like, video uh-huh. games is like, they're fine. I don't want to yuck anyone's yum, but they don't thrill me at all. Um, you know, I just, there's something that seems very plain about it. I'm sure if I watched it, I'd enjoy it. Um, but I'd much rather on Netflix watch stuff like Six Underground, a Michael Bay monstrosity that makes <laughs> yeah. zero sense, and yet I loved every second of it for right? no reason. <laughs> and that's another one I forgot. I don't know. I don't think a guest brought it on. I think I brought Six Underground on to the show, and then Rachel later watched it and was like messaging me like, "What? What am I watching? What is? What? What is this?" <laughs> You just told her to sit back and let your eyeballs enjoy all of it. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, with with all that being said, what are what are some of the other podcasts that you were on as well? Well, uh, you and your audience should buckle in for like thirty minutes. Okay, we'll, just, we'll get through this together. No, I'm kidding. Um, I I've gotten these pitched pitches down to a science. So. Uh, let's start with Screen Snark, which is on the Certain POV Network, uh, a network that you've been on a plethora of shows as well, <laughs> um, some which are recently acquired and joined the network and some that um, you were on while they were on the network uh, before they joined. Um, and so I have two other shows on the network. I have two video game shows. One is called Fun and Games. It's me and Jeff Moonen talking about different things in the games industry. We usually keep it to one topic like uh, JRPGs or the style of the silent protagonist or we'll talk about a specific video game movie like we did Detective Pikachu. We recently did the Castlevania anime series. Mm. Um, We'll have guests on. We interviewed um, uh, this young and brilliant gentleman, James, who is the head developer for Rude Ghost and a video game called... uh, Pixel Puzzle Makeout League, which is a puzzle dating sim with oh, wow. puzzle-themed superheroes. It's <laughs> amazing. Um, and we have other ones in the can that haven't aired yet of us interviewing folks in the industry. Um, it's pretty much, I, I describe it as a celebration of gaming. Like, we never get on the show and, like, just put down a shitty game or, or studio. I've talked at length about, like, Game Crunch and how it's bad, and we've brought... Uh, light to bad things in the industry, but we never want to like just bad mouth video games. We don't want to say this kind of game sucks and you suck for liking it. Like there's enough of that on the internet and I don't need to add to that discourse. No, exactly. I think, yeah. I think a celebration of gaming is better. Um, and then the other one is called Reignite. I host it with um, Frankie Bradley Lestrange. Um, she is one of my best friends and we. I got her into the Mass Effect series, and we both became rightfully obsessed with this insane sci-fi epic. And so uh, over two years ago now, I think, um, she's like, we should do a podcast about it where we replay it and we create Shepard, the lead character, as ourselves and make decisions as if we'd make them. 
And oh, wow. Talk, and then talk about why we made those choices. And also talk about the relationships and why we're attracted to what characters and why we pursue what relationships. And uh, and it's been a really fascinating study of a game that I is, is one of my favorite game series, but still from a new angle that keeps it fresh. Um, as of when we're recording this episode, um, we'll be wrapping up the second season, which is the second Mass Effect, and moving on to the third game in the trilogy. We'll also be doing the Dreaded Andromeda, which is the offshoot game that wasn't a sequel but was a separate game in the world of Mass Effect and then who knows after that but that's going to take us at least another two years because we take our time so 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 for that particular podcast uh, do you also like incorporate a, a twitch stream with it like a or a, a, a play along like showing people when you're playing kind of thing so we haven't um mostly because um we're keep we're the goal is to focus on us being ourselves in those moments. Mm -hmm. um, I might stream a separate playthrough later, but the, the idea behind the show is we give you a roadmap, we tell you what missions we're doing in what order, and then at the end of each episode, we tell you the next mission we're going to do. So oh. you can play that mission, and then when the episode comes out, listen along with us as we discuss the choices we made and the decisions we made. Um, there was a pretty early decision to not do Let's Play because... For one, I am not a video editor by any stretch of the imagination, but also um, I wasn't heavily into streaming and didn't have a streaming following when we started. Now for the third game, maybe I'll stream my play sessions because I do have a bit of a following and I've been streaming regularly. Um, but the goal was always for it to be an audio, a, a purely audio experience because we wanted to focus on it that way. People can take it with them. They don't have to be sitting at their computer or on their phone to watch it. They can just turn it on and listen. Um, and so that's that. And those are all the shows on the certain POV network. And then I have a fourth show that I've been doing the longest, um, on my website, crashchords.com. I used to have a music series on that website. It's now on hiatus, uh, pretty much indefinitely where me and two co-hosts would review a new album every week. It would come out every Monday. Um, but it was a, uh, a laborious process that I loved, but like it was between listening to the album together, taking notes, recording it, making minor tweaks. It was like a six hour process. Mm -hmm. And we all just got to a place in life where we couldn't commit six hours every Monday to making this thing happen. Um, so, uh, that's on hiatus, but, but during the tenure of that show, I created an interview series called Crash Chords Autographs, which was really because I was selfish and wanted to interview people, and I liked interview <laughs> series. Um, I had originally created it based on a now, um, not defunct, but like, I had created it based on another comedian's interview series, but it's since come out that he is a, uh, he assaulted his ex, and he's a shitty human, and yep. I... And you know who I'm talking about. And I, I do. Wanna... Nope. And so, and like, he was my hero when I started autographs. And Same. so now I, and so now I've written him off. But that said, there are a ton of other interviewers, Pete Holmes, like tons of folks who do great interview shows. Mitch, uh, <laughs> Pompeia, oh, <thank> you. <laughs> who's a great host. Um, I've been listening to him, Mitch. I love the show, actually. Um, I feel like we're kindred, kindred spirits a bit in an interview process. But um, we were doing interviews on, um, 
on Crash Chords when we had a guest to review an album with us. And so that made me think, well, let me spin it off and just do interviews. And it started as just interviewing musicians. And that's how it spun off of the music show. But after a while, I was like, I'm going to run out of indie rappers to interview who I know. So, like, I need a larger variety of guests. And so it's grown very much since then. And now it's the longest running show I have. And I've had folks like Mike Rugnetta and Lisa Foyles on. I've had Magaran. I've had MC Lars. I've had um, Spider One from Power Man 5000. Like, it's just kind of all, all across the board. I've had a ton of different burlesque performers. And uh, that one's the passion project. Like, it definitely has the smallest audience because people will tune in for the guest and then kind of move on most of the time. But it's the one I think, not that I love the most, but, like, I get giddy to do because it connects me to all of these people who I think are really interesting within the industry and I want to share their stories. I mean, it's it, doing interview podcasts is so much fun. But I still get like super anxious when having uh-huh. to ask people if they want to they would they like to be interviewed or anything like that. So, how do you feel like after doing it for so long? Like, how do you go about asking uh, if someone would like to be interviewed? So I used to be super precious about it, um, and what breaks you of that is hearing no all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so now it's gotten to the point where I'll ask people to be a guest, and when they say yes, I'll go, "Oh, really? Cool." Awesome. <laughs> yeah. um, like, I'll never forget it the, f- the first time I ever reached out to Jonathan Colton, and this is nothing against Jonathan Colton. I love him. I think he's a great musician, but I wrote him seeing if he'd be a guest, and his admin or whoever replies for him said, unfortunately, John is super busy and probably won't be able to be on a podcast at any point in the uh, near future or anytime soon. And I was like, okay, that's fine. No worries. And then I kind of forgot about it. Um, and like, I would reach out to other folks who said, Oh, definitely email me. And I would email them and email them and email them and never hear back. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to name names on that one, but like, but like doing that and jumping through those hoops, eventually you just learn to, um, partition your brain to when you send the ask email, if no one responds, uh, then so be it. You move on to the next one. Like there's a YouTuber I really like, um, who I I'm in uh, his Discord, and so he's in it as well. And so I know his username, and you can message people without being friends. So I figured, what the hell? I'll message him and see if he wants to come on autographs. Why not? Right? Because I'm a fan, and I think mm-hmm. it'd be cool to talk to him about being a YouTuber, especially in the gaming space. And so I wrote him and I sent him a message. No response. I sent a follow-up. No response. And so I'm like, all right. Either he doesn't care, doesn't know, or doesn't want to. But either way, I'm not going to keep bugging him. Right. It's, that won't get any results. Um, yeah, I think it just requires training and time. I will say, though, something I've never got over was getting nervous before interviews. Like when I'm bringing someone on my show, even if we're friends and I know them really well, like it's not out yet as of when we're recording, but it probably will be by the time this airs. I interviewed magician Matt Donnelly, um, formerly known as Hillbill. He's the mind noodler. He does uh, psychic magic tricks. They're not oh, wow. it's fake. It's fake. It's fake mentalism. That's that's actual magic. Okay. And he's and he's brilliant. He's also an improv comedian. He's a host on Pendulette's podcast. He's like a really great dude. And I met him ages ago and we've been in contact for years. And I asked him to be on the show and he said yes. And then like a half hour before I'm going to interview him, I, I, my stomach is spinning in circles. And I'm and like, 
I'm actively thinking, Matt, what is wrong with you? You know this guy. <laughs> like, you hung out a ton. You've met his wife and his kid. Like, what is wrong with you? But I think part of that is the excitement, too, because anxiety is really just excitement that you don't know how to focus. And it's not always easy to focus. So let me ask you, uh, what what is your... Uh so far, you know, so-called secret origin for podcasting. What what made you get into the podcast game? It's funny. It's been so long that uh, I I don't I oh I recently was asked this question. And I had to think about it because I couldn't <laughs> honestly remember because I've been doing it for over eight years, maybe more. Um, but what it was was when podcasting was first starting to become a thing and the the man we didn't mention by name before kind of started to pioneer it along with Mark Marin and a few others. Um, I, at the time, was living with my girlfriend at that time in, in Staten Island and me and two of my friends were hanging out in our apartment and we were just constantly yammering on about music and why we like this album and what you know how we dissect it. And she was just like, why don't you idiots just start a podcast? Uh, and then months later, a friend, I was talking with one of those friends again, my friend John, and uh, he's the one who got it going. But he's like, I had had a blog that I was writing on for a while, which is CrashCourse.com. If you go deep in the archives, you can find articles I used to write before I ever uh, made a podcast. And he's like, look, you have this blog. You're paying for the hosting. Any idiot with an iPad can record a show. Like, we should record something. And so... Um, all of the archives, 200 plus episodes of Crash Chords, the album review show, are still up. And that was the first podcast I ever started recording. But I promise you, you will be great to not listen to like the first 20 episodes. <laughs> Skip those, but still want to go through the archive, it's fine. But yeah, it started out with me, my friend Steve, and my friend John with an iPad face up recording on a memo recorder us talking about, I think the first album we did was Linkin Park's. Uh, what album what was it called? Little Things? Something Things. Um, but it was their album. It was one of their albums after a long break, and I had brought it on. And how the show worked is each co-host would take turns bringing an album on every week. Mm. And so that was the origins. Like, that got me started in podcasting. Um, but it didn't really become a passion until after that. Like, once I started listening to more of them, discovering how many different people had podcasts, different kinds of podcasts you could do, um, it, it really started to push me more. And then once I started, because Reignite, re, uh, so Fun and Games that I'm doing with Jeff existed on its own before it went to see certain POV. All of my shows did, but that one existed for a long time. But Jeff and Case are good friends. They've known each other a long time. Of course, it comes back to Case Aiken. Uh, of course, does. all the time. Uh, and so, like, we had been doing fun and games for a little while, and, and Case wrote Jeff asking if he'd want to bring the show on the network because he liked it. They had shown it to Ben and Addy, who are the, like, legends of the network. You know, they created the thing, um, and, and they wanted to know if we'd join, and so we did, and it was great. And, like, uh, you know, I love all those guys, and I'm happy to have that show as a part of a network. And then slowly and methodically, every other show I started, Case would eventually just go, hey, do you want to join the network? Um, and, and, it, and, and I love it. I love being a part of that family. And as it continues to grow, um, like we all just boost each other up and it's really great. You know, a rising tide raises all ships. Right. Or, or something like that. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but also my other three shows. So Autographs was completely under my own steam. After interviewing 
guests as part of Crash Chords, the podcast, um, I felt I had good enough chops to do it on my own. And, and, and dear reader or listener in this case, I did not have the chops, but I do now. <laughs> but it definitely took time. Um, but at, that one was all me and my motivation and my ambition. All three of my other shows are under the steam of my co-hosts. I contribute plenty, but like, uh, for example, Screen Snark, the show you were on, there's a lost pilot that um, Rachel and I did with director Eric Ford because Rachel was in a movie that he directed. Um, and we brought him on, and we didn't really have a format. We just talked, and it was mostly an interview show. And then I sent it to Rachel to edit, and it, and it just fell apart. Both of us got busy. We hadn't talked in a while. And then through the burlesque scene, which is how we both originally became friends, we ran into each other again and like loved hanging out. And we're like, we were both like, I miss you. Why don't we hang out anymore? Let's hang out more. And we did. And then she was like, hey, Matt, do you still want to do screen snark? Because like, I think it's a thing I really want to try and make happen. And she did. And like, we just pushed for it. And 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 the same thing, like I said earlier with Reignite, like MJ was like, we we love this game so much, we should do a podcast about it. And honestly, without my co-host, I don't know that I could do those shows, even though I take on a ton of responsibilities. Like Rachel and Jeff edit those shows. I read it, edit Reignite and my own show. And it's like, if I didn't split those responsibilities, I'd get buried. And, mm -hmm. you know, and it's not to mention, I also am a DJ. I Twitch stream multiple times a week. And I am an audio engineer for many podcasts. Um, several certain POV shows I edit at this point because a certain host took on too much and also works all the time and so asked for <laughs> help and I'm helping. Um, but like, and so now I'm an audio engineer as well. Uh, and I used to get paid DJ gigs, but now in this pandemic we're living in, there's not as much of that. True. Um, but, but every time I bring up to someone that I host four podcasts, their reaction is your reaction when I've mentioned it to you. It's just, like, <laughs> wait, I don't, what do you mean four podcasts? That's a lot of podcasts. Um, although you now, I would say, can commiserate as you also have a plethora of podcasts. <laughs> this is true. Uh, well, I mean, how how has the DJ DJing gone different in the time of uh, Corona? Like, I, I've noticed that you you're on uh, uh, Discord a lot, you with you know, live with music and stuff like that. So, so yeah, the the DJing. So uh, let's take a couple steps back. So besides DJing, I was also for a while a burlesque producer and a burlesque host. Um, I got my start DJing burlesque shows, and from there grew it into I started doing private events and other things, and now I DJ all over. Conveniently, around February, so this was right before PAX East, uh, at the end of February, early March, um, I had made a decision that I've, I have four podcasts. They've all grown organically for a while, but none of them have really gone to that next level. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Well, because I, for one, am not putting 110% into these podcasts. I'm making them, I'm putting them out, I'm tweeting about them, but like I'm not promoting them like they are the thing I do. Maybe I should start doing that and see where it goes. Because clearly, with four shows, I have a passion for it. Mm -hmm. And so I had made a conscious decision to start scaling back. Also, producing burlesque had just involved a lot of, let's say, drama and other issues that I was like, it was becoming too much for me. When I got into it, like, nine years ago, 
I had loved it and I still love it, but I was like, I think it's time to scale back. So with the blessing of my co-producers, the troupe I used to produce with is called Magical Girl Burlesque. With their blessing, I stepped down. They're still producing. Of course, right now they're not producing anything because nobody's performing, but they they were going to take over and they were doing most of the work anyway. Like I was showing up and either hosting or DJing. I was helping build playlists, but like... They were doing the 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 majority of the grunt work because they were more knowledgeable about the scene and new performers than I was. Um, but with that active decision in February to kind of scale it back and 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 start phasing out the troops I was working with, um, then this happened. And so now it's I'm I'm not so much not DJing because I don't want to, but it's because I decided to scale back. But also, there's no opportunities to do it. Um, some folks have been DJing online, and I could do that, but I'm already streaming video games, and I feel like one thing at a time at the moment. But I do miss it, and I'm bummed because as I scaled it back to focus on podcasting, like I met a ton of awesome folks at PAX East. Um, shout out to Super Deluxe Gamescast. is an incredible podcast and a collective of gaming nerds who have had me on their show, and when I met them in person for the first time at PAX East took me all over the show floor, introducing me to a ton of folks who are now in the near nearest future going to appear on Fun and Games. And I'm super grateful for that. I got a ton of business cards, made a ton of connections, and I was really excited. I had a, a press pass for Gen Con. I have I get a press pass every year for Flame Con. I like got I started to build up these credentials so I could go to these shows and build up my shows in person. Um, I did a live panel last year at a video game con and I was going to do it again this year in August. And um, then Corona happened and now I was going to be at dark side of the con in March that got pushed back to September and it's on Rosh Hashanah. So now I can't go cause I am a Jew um, and I have responsibilities to my family. <laughs> Um, but like, you know, Gen Con is still in July and people don't know if they're going to go. And honestly, even if we can in July, which I don't think we can, I think it's going to get canceled. I don't know that I want to be around a thousand people when my wife is high risk and I don't have a great immune system. Um, you know, and so that has been the biggest bummer about Corona is like, I was just at the very early stages of momentum for meeting people in an industry and, now that's on hold. Now, luckily, a lot of the connections I made was through Twitter, and some of the folks I've met who I've become close with on Twitter and talk to all the time have introduced me to other folks. So I'm still making some connections, and my Twitter following is growing for whatever that's worth. But, like, I'm just sad that I... Like, glad-handing in person is where I shine. Like, Discord and cameras help, because mm-hmm. um, I feel like you can get a better sense of a person when you're looking at them. I don't mind just doing audio, but I feel like video really helps to connect with people. True. Um, but I'm just mostly really bummed that that momentum that I decided I'd put my foot down, I'm going to grow these things, I'm going to do it in person, is now completely on hold, um, which is fine. I mean, thankfully, I can still podcast from where I am. And all of my shows had switched over to remote recording way before the pandemic just due to time constraints and convenience since none of my co-hosts live near me. Mm -hmm. Um, Some are closer than others, but it's like an hour and a half train ride for some two hour drive for others. And so like we had shifted to remote anyway, so that didn't get hindered at all. Also on the bright side, 
every show has banked episodes because everyone has time now. It's <laughs> yes. a thing that I couldn't do. We were living episode to episode for years on all of my shows, even my show that I do myself. But now that everyone has more availability, it's it's actually easier to bank. So that's been a benefit. But, you know, it, it's hard when you want to meet people in person and make connections at these events. You can't during a time like this. True. Very true. So when you said you first started, you just had a, you know, flipped up a iPad that recorded uh, your audio, the three of you. When was it that you made the decision to like, okay, now I got to start investing into recording equipment. I got to, you know, get microphones, you know, more of a, a proper setup. Like what was the, the catalyst? What was that thing? Well, so there were a few. Um, part of it is I'm very lucky and blessed to live with a woman who is way more in talented than me and when i said i do said yes and didn't think twice God <laughs> bless her soul because if she had thought twice about it i wouldn't be here um my incredible spouse sarah storm is an actress and has done vo and uh is a podcast producer and like so she had i think a yeti or something um but the the first shift to professional quality was my co-host steve on the now uh, retired music show is a pianist and a composer. And so he had a condenser mic already. And so after a couple episodes on the iPad, he was like, this is awful and it's <laughs> killing me. Uh, let's use my microphone and see how that goes. And so uh, that really changed the game. And then, I don't know, maybe a year later, maybe more, um, I'm good friends with the owner of the bar, The Way Station in Brooklyn. Um, which is an incredible steampunky bar um, that if this pandemic's ever over, people in Brooklyn should go to. They have a TARDIS bathroom. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> he had bought a bunch of microphones for the bar because he had a ton of live music. One of them was a really high-quality condenser mic um, that wasn't great for live music. And he's like, look, I can't use this mic. Do you think you'll want it? And I was like, sure. And so that upped our game 110%. Um, a lot of my upgrades and gear, honestly, has been happenstance um, or through the kindness of others. Like the mic I'm recording on now is an RE20 broadcast mic, um, and I'm using a, uh, a Focusrite Scarlet Solo. Both of them were a very, very generous gift from my spouse's bandmates. She's in a band called The Wasties, which is an Irish kind of folk rock band that played live at our own wedding, which is still one of my, the highlights of my life. I had my own spouse sing songs in her wedding dress at our wedding. That's with awesome. The guitar on. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. Uh, it doesn't get hotter than that folks. Um, and so, uh, as a gift, the whole band chipped in and got us the RE 20 and the focus, right? And so I'm endlessly thankful for them because it's an incredible microphone and I love using it. But, uh, over the years after, like, I think it was what made me get serious about acquiring other gears, gear, like an HD webcam and gaming headset with surround sound, um, was starting to stream and then starting the other podcasts that weren't the interview show. Like once I was working with someone else who wasn't me, um, like for Jeff, for example, has a record, a recording booth in his home. He built one in his closet cause he's a voice actor. I was like, all right, if my quality is going to be up to snuff, I need to get serious. Like let's figure out how to make that happen. And thankfully the RE 20 is good enough that as long as I position myself, right, there's a little bit of room tone, but it's otherwise pretty good. Um, and I swear by it. Um, 
you know, I think there are some upgrades we could do, but I think it was happenstance and branching out into new shows that really pushed me to level up my gear. And that said, I think I could still probably level it up more. I mean, we all can, right? Like, yeah. I don't think any audiophile is ever satisfied with their audio quality ever. I've Never. learned to just let it go. <laughs> um, and like, like um, I was editing uh, your, uh, has it aired yet? The one like, that I was on? Oh, yes. It recently yeah. aired the uh, Men of Steel episode that you did with Case. Oh. I edited that. And listening to it, um, I was like, oh, this is this this audio quality is really good, but I'm hearing these weird hiccups. Why? And like, it turns out that it's like someone maybe tapped a microphone or whatever. And like, I'll go out of my way to scrub out those little sounds because it just it drives me bonkers. Like, <laughs> I will let some stuff go. But to the same degree, I've edited enough podcasts that I know what um looks like as a waveform. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it, it, it's tall on one side and short on the other. And like, <laughs> it's just from, and I don't cut out every um and uh from a podcast because most of mine are cover, conversational. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like to cut out every um and uh will make some people sound more robotic because mm-hmm. it's pretty natural to not everyone when they want to think about something pauses. And then says what they're going to say. They want to fill that space. They think they have to. Um, see? Yeah. But that said, I'm <laughs> way more aware of it because I know what the dang thing looks like. And I go out of my way to edit as many as I can without going crazy. That's, I mean, that's painstaking work right there. Like, it's, I I don't, <laughs> I don't do as much editing on my podcast as I should. I know that <laughs> for a fact. But I do try and go out of my way to take out long pauses or uh you know anything that's just not needed so to speak right. but yeah um there we go <laughs> <laughs> what's the what's the thing that's been the biggest surprise for you for for podcasting like what was what's that one thing that you you didn't know was it was going to be an issue or was uh even maybe even a perk of podcasting before you started interesting question um well, one of the unexpected celebrations from my podcast, I'll start and then f- give myself time to figure out how to actually answer your question, uh, <laughs> is with podcasting, as you well know, it's difficult to grow an audience organically if you're not a celebrity, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you're not close with a celebrity. Um, for me, what really surprised me is the largest audience currently of all my podcasts is Reignite, my Mass Effect podcast. The reason for that one is because MJ, um, sorry, because Frankie goes out of her way to promote it on all social media. And so that was a big push. But also, it's a focused fandom. They've made four games, they've had a handful of graphic novels, I think one movie. And that's it. So that fan base is clamoring for any content about those games. Um, a we call quote unquote rival, but we're not really rivals. Podcast Normandy FM also found the same kind of thing because, and they've moved on to Dragon Age, which is a different Bioware game. But the more niche your podcast is, the more success it will find because there's not as many of its kind. Like I love my interview show. But it's a dime a dozen, and most people are going to tune in for the guest. If they like me, maybe they'll stick around. But for the most part, the folks who are listening for me are friends or folks I met in the industry outside of having them on the show. Um, and so that was a really crazy surprise. Like one of our episodes by some weird algorithmic fluke 
had over a thousand downloads in like the first week, which for most podcasts isn't big numbers, but for us in the early days, it was like, what the hell? What did we do? How did we get a thousand downloads? <laughs> um, you know, and and I think it's pretty cool that like I mean, you've seen the Discord, like the Reignite channel and the Discord is one of the most active because those fans are just so excited about those games and and I love that. Um, one unexpected hitch from podcasting, I'd say, is how it interferes with life. And if you're not a good communicator or if you don't think how to communicate, it can cause problems. All couples fight over various amount of things. But I can say without any shred of confusion or misrepresentation that my spouse and I fought plenty over my podcasting. Because even when I only had one show... If it was, if it ran, if we were recording till 1 a.m. and she had work in the morning, even if I had work in the morning, if we were too loud and kept her up, that's not okay. No. Um, and, you know, or just conflicts like, I, this is the eighth podcast I've recorded as a guest in the last two weeks, which means my nights haven't been very open. And now we're all working from home or at home. And so it's not a huge deal. But like, my spouse tries to go into the bedroom when I'm recording so she doesn't interfere or if she's at her computer in the kitchen or uh, in the dining room, she tries to be on the quieter side. And like I do the same. She records audio. Um, she's a podcast producer and sometimes has to record intros, outros for other shows or work on her own projects. And so it's navigating that dynamic. And that's not something I expected to have to do. I just kind of assumed ah, anybody can podcast. I'll just do it whenever. Who cares, right? Uh, but as we get more fickle or more precise, I guess, about our audio quality and how we do it and what we want to do and how often we want to do it, those things change. Now, thankfully, I think we've hit a groove where we're pretty understanding. I put all of my appointments in the in, in the calendar and so she knows and she can ask like, well, like minutes before we started this. So which podcast is this that you're recording tonight? Remind me who Mitch is. Is this his show? What kind of show is it? Because I do enough of them that she asks because if it's... If it's one of my shows and it's more conversational, maybe she'll cook in the kitchen because tinkering here and there, I don't mind the noise in the background. But if I'm going to be on someone else's show or if I'm recording, like right now, I am in the work. I have in the works in uh, I, what will remain nameless for the moment YouTube series that's a D&D actual play that I'm really excited to be a part of. For that one, I needed her to be really quiet because someone's taking audio and video and they're going to edit it and I don't want any inconsistencies to mess with that editing process. Um, if you want more information on that YouTube series, follow me on Twitter. I will announce it once it's out. There you um, go. But yeah, I think that was the, the biggest one was the weight of the undertaking. I underestimated by a long shot. And now that I am uh, like most artists, a perfectionist and never satisfied, <laughs> I would say never, I'd say often not satisfied. Um, you know, it's things that you reckon with. But like I've also on the other end learned to let go of some audio inconsistencies like the most recent episode of Screen Snark that's going to air the Monday after we record this. Um, for whatever reason, Skype didn't pick up my RE20. So my audio is garbage. That said, you can still hear me clearly. And it was the only capture we had. So it's the capture we're using. And my co-host and our guest uh, sound great. So I'm like, all right, whatever. I don't care if I sound like garbage. I'm the least interesting person on the show anyway. Who cares? Uh, just, <laughs> oh. just, do your, just do your thing. Um, 
And so, you know, I've learned to let that stuff go. Whereas me, even two years ago, I would have been like, not at Rachel, because it has nothing to do with her. But on my own, I'd be like, ah, idiot, what's the matter with you? And like, get really angry. And like, at this point, it's like, whatever, if people don't want to listen because of that audio, that's their loss. But hopefully, because the rest of it's good, and it's not, it's not garbled, it's just really, um, not loud, but like really live. Like I sound like I'm got you. Like I'm speaking through a speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, people will still listen. And if not, you know it happens, and we learn, and we're more careful in the future. Like I, I can't be too precious about that stuff because if I did, I would never get any of my shows done. <laughs> this is this is so true. <laughs> <laughs> so I, right now, obviously, as as we've been speaking, you described all the different types of content that you 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 create that you mm-hmm. you make and 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 put out there have you always been a creator in that way also a very good question sort of um so i've <laughs> i guess so like so i didn't consider making playlists being a dj but every dj i've spoken to is like yeah if you made mixtapes as a kid you had you had some DJ bones in there, like that's because that's what radio disc jockeys did. They made mixes for people to hear, like they plucked songs either from the popular stuff or wherever or from the bin they were supposed to. Um, and so, yeah, when I was, oh god, when I was five or six or even seven, like as soon as I got my own stereo, I was mixing cassette tapes. I was like taking blank tapes and then taking like my Aladdin soundtrack cassette and like pulling my favorite songs off and then stopping and then hitting record for other stuff or recording stuff off the radio. Um, I used to play disc jockey. Yeah, I'm super cool. I know. <laughs> I like pretend I was hosting my own radio show. Um, and then later on with video games, I used to I used to use my VCR to record. So I don't know how familiar you are with the wrestling games on the N64 back in the day. Oh, I was all over those games. Like, so when WrestleMania 2000 came out. Oh, man. No. For you kids who don't know what an N64 <laughs> is in my day. No. Um, when WrestleMania 2000 came out, like there'd been a bunch of WCW games, which were great. But I was a bigger WWF fan like everybody else. And all of those those other two games didn't have entrance music. WrestleMania 2000 was the first wrestling game with entrances to have some version of the entrance music for most of the characters. Wow, I didn't realize that until right now, until you, until you said that. So, at least on the N64. And so I got so excited by that, and I had played with wrestling figures so much and made my own pay-per-views that I used to VCR create my own pay-per-view events by just making matches and recording them and then, like, cutting it together like by just like starting and stopping the VCR between each match yes. and make my own wrestling events <laughs> um, which I don't think I kept any of those but like I loved that or I would go into the character editor and like just use the entrance music and use my TV as the titantron for my toy wrestling ring <laughs> years later like I would pick up a guitar and not be very good at it um, and then in college, even had a stint producing music. I, uh, a, f- a friend of mine who I haven't seen in ages, but he's a great kind of like folk indie rock singer, uh, singer songwriter. I, I helped produce his EP. Um, it unfortunately never kind of really went anywhere. And I think he still plays music now, but, um, but like I put money down and produced that, um, you know, and then time passed and I didn't have a ton of creative outlets. And then I started podcasting and around the same time I started DJing. I mean, when I first started DJing, DJing meant for a burlesque show, 
showing up and when the cue says whatever the cue says start the music on that cue whether when they're introduced or when they're center stage and like that it was just pressing buttons in the beginning and then as i became friends with um, one of the producers uh, nasty canasta who i'm actually very good friends with now she would start creating themed shows like science fiction shows or superhero shows and i would be like well i'm good at making themed playlists can i give it a shot and end up becoming the guy who made like the theme pre-show and intermission playlists as well as playing the music during the show and then i moved on to doing some of the lighting for that kind of stuff and then i became the festival dj for the nerdlesque festival every year um it unfortunately got canceled this year because it's usually in april um but like i started by just pressing buttons and then slowly worked my own creativity into it to became my own thing um, I don't know that I would ever, I don't know if I would compare myself to other creators like actors and songwriters and uh, comedians because I think I never really had the ambition to do it. I'd say I'm more, I'd say I'm an ambitious creator now as it's hard not to say that when I have four podcasts, but like <laughs> I never felt like I had this need to create, but it was always kind of there. I mean, I drew, I made playlists, like I did all, I did, t- I played with, action figures i you know made up my own storylines i played video games my whole life so like i had creative outlets um but i don't i don't know that i actively was like i want to be a creator i mean also the word creator is different now right yeah no one grew up saying i wanted to be a podcaster because when we were kids they didn't exist right you know there were radio shows and i did always want to be a disc jockey like i would listen to k-rock in new york and be like i want to do that i want to sit on the radio and like introduce music because i have this stupidly encyclopedic knowledge of music um although the gaps get bigger as i get older and more out of touch (laughs) but but that said i still love your halsey's and your taylor swift's and your carly ray jepson's like i listen to that stuff too but like um my, like my spouse will tease me now when I don't know a song because I always seem to know every song. Um, but yeah, now it's, it's <laughs> as Mike Ragnetta likes to call it yar content because you feel like <laughs> kind of like a pirate when you say it, um, which I translate to anything I can. Um, I, I like creating stuff and like, I, I love when people tell me they listen to my podcasts and that they're excited about it. Um, I, I've recently felt more like a performer because I was hosting burlesque shows. And while I would never, ever do stand-up comedy, that terrifies me. When I'm hosting burlesque shows, I do do a little bit of stand-up comedy between the acts. But the good thing about that is if I bomb, there's zero fear because then I go, here's some boobs and butts. Don't worry about me. You know, I can, I can move on and I didn't have to worry about it. Um, I had horrible stage fright for ages and then got over that through hosting burlesque shows. And even last year, did my first ever performance. Um, I didn't strip, but I did a lip sync act to uh, Hey Ma, Look I Made It by Panic at the Disco. And it was super freeing and super anxiety inducing. And I will never do it again, but I tried it. <laughs> And, and I think all of that was born of, like, all of this. I'm an introvert at na- by nature, but I'm more outroverted now, extroverted, rather, now than I ever was before. Um, and I think I can fake being an extrovert pretty well because I'm pretty affable. Uh, but at the end of the day, if I hit a wall and I want to be an introvert and I'm in public, it is unfortunate for everyone around me. I mean, I won't <laughs> do anything, but like I close up. I just, turn yeah. off. I'm just like, I'm done. I'm it's happened once I was at the Renaissance fair with a bunch of friends and my spouse. And towards the end, like she could see me getting agitated and she's like, you're done. Aren't you? It's like, uh-huh. 
yeah, we mm. need to go to the car now-ish because I'm going to be an unpleasant person to be around in another half hour. Um, and that, But the, all of that came from just like doing, trying these different things. I mean, the only reason I have any kind of influencer presence, ugh, I hate saying it out loud, uh, <sighs> is is because I dabbled in a ton of different things. And like, and I'm still experimenting. Like I have a TikTok account. I have 40 followers, but I make stupid videos and hopefully folks enjoy it. And if not, it's fine. Like otherwise, you know, I try and post on Instagram and Twitter all the time. I've abandoned Facebook. That is a hellscape. I just, it's terrible. <laughs> I just, I can't like after my fourth argument in a row on it, I was like, I don't need to check this more than once a day and I can do it from my computer and deleted it from my phone. Best decision I ever made. Uh, <laughs> And like Twitter also has its problems, but like I've curated that within an inch of its life. The minute I see any tangential, homophobic, racist, sexist, anything, I just block somebody. I don't care. I don't care if there's somebody's friend that we can be friends in real life and I can still block you on social media. Like I don't, I just, I don't, I, I, I don't suffer fools as they say anymore. I think I've hit that point where there's enough stress in life that you should be entitled to create your online experience to be the way you want it to be. Yes. Yes. So when, uh, I just had it, I lost it. It was there. It's okay. It's my fault because you'll ask a question. And then because I'm also a host, I will go on eight <laughs> tangents because I'm like, I'll talk about this thing. And then that'll connect to another thing because we got on social media. Your question had nothing to do with social it media. Didn't. And, yet, and yet we got there because I don't know when to shut up. Well, let me just ask you about that. How, 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 uh, it- important do you find social media for the the fact that all these things that you're i know what the other question was now but how, how like how important do you find all those uh different types of social because you said you just started up a tiktok like that's staying up to date with the with the newest social media like kind of thing like how do you do you find it super important as a creator to get your name out there on all these different types of, or your brand out there on all these different types of social media like twi- twitter instagram snapchat you know tiktok Yes and no. I mean, um, social media as a whole is a blessing and a curse, right? Because Mm -hmm. like another reason I abandoned Facebook is because all of my podcasts auto post to their proper pages. And then I share stuff. I have a professional finger quotes, professional page on Facebook. Um, that all my storm again page that I'll manually share stuff to, but like most stuff is connected through my Instagram now. So I don't have to log into Facebook because the Facebook algorithm doesn't care unless you share a, a Facebook of a pet, a Facebook photo of a pet or a baby. Nobody sees it. Like I still have, I have over a thousand friends on Facebook. Yippee, go me. Who cares? Um, <laughs> but like, I still like half of them don't know I do a podcast. How, if you know me, could you not know I do a podcast? I don't shut up about it, but it's because <laughs> the algorithm buries it because they want me to pay for advertising. True. Um, Twitter is different. I think Twitter's my favorite social media and I think the most vital one because it's real time. If you log on when I posted or around when I posted or like a lot of my posts, it'll tell you, hey, I recently posted this. Um, you're more likely to see it because it's real time. There's no algorithm hiding shit. Um, Instagram's the same way. Everything shows up out of order now. I'll see something from today and then something from 12 hours ago and then something from three days ago. So I mostly, I post pictures on Instagram 
at least once a day. And usually 90% of it is me posting the graphic for whatever podcast I was on. Um, but I'll share stuff in my stories because people will scroll through stories. And if they scroll through your stories a lot, it jumps to the top of their story feed. So I find that useful. Um, I never understood Snapchat. I still have an account and I don't use it. Um, (laughs) TikTok I went to because I was a fan of a ton of Vine comedians, comedians who would do these short films that were just funny to me, these short little sketches. And they transitioned to TikTok recently. And so from following them on YouTube, I then shifted to TikTok to watch and created an account to just watch them. And then I found some of my friends had them. And when a friend who, I re- who I'm really close with, who I'd like to think I'm on the same level of sense of humor and cleverness with, started one, I was like, well, if she can do it, maybe I can do it. And so I tried doing it. And like, I don't know if any of it's interesting, but I make it anyway. I think that if you want to be relevant, the important thing is to make a good, pro- like, uh, let's let's bring it back. Is social media important to creating content? Yes. Period. End of story. Is all social media important to creating content? Absolutely not. I know tons <laughs> of podcasters who do not have a Facebook, and that's just fine. I know tons of people who do. I think... What's important, and this isn't my advice, this is the advice of Stella Chu, who is a cosplayer and a YouTuber and one of my uh, one of my nicest, kindest, sweetest, most loveliest friends, um, who is now super famous on the internet, and it blows my mind because I met her before she became super famous on the internet, and she deserves all of it, but she teaches a social media course, but like I had always asked her questions, and she's like, pick a social media and master it. You can do multiple, but at the end of the day, have a platform that when you think of something or you're doing something, that's where you post it. And Discord has become that a little bit. Like it's it's chat rooms. It's the return to chat rooms, which I really like. But for me, Twitter is that outlet. Like if I want to share a screenshot, I put it on Twitter. If I want to tell a joke, I put it on Twitter. If I want to share a photo, I put it on Twitter. It's only then that I'll think about maybe I'll put it on Instagram. Maybe I'll share it to Facebook. If you focus on and master one social media, you can find your voice that people respond to. Because at the end of the day, it's another form of yar content creation. <laughs> and and finding a way to master that isn't easy. But if you focus on one form of social media, you're definitely going to be closer to mastering it than if you're balancing 18 different platforms at any given time. Okay, so... The question that I remembered was that it was an artist always the plan or was there was there another plan? Like you said you went to college. Did you go to college for, uh, you know, something else completely that has nothing to do with creating or. okay? yes. Well, yes and no. So um, I was creative in public school and high school. I took art classes. I took music classes. I took all of that stuff. I mean, in public school, I feel like in middle school, they kind of make you take some semblance of that stuff. but in college, uh, I struggled first just being in college. I love learning, but I'm a bad student. And it's not because I'm not smart. It's because I just have trouble focusing in a classroom setting. Um, but once I found teachers who understood that and who not necessarily catered to me, but taught in a way that I jived with, I, I excelled. Um, I'm also, I was also for a long time very lazy. Like in high school, I had B's. And I hope my parents don't hear this, but if they do, who cares? What are they going to do? Um, but I got well, all I hope B's your parents in, hear it. <laughs> right. If I got all B's and C's because I could do that without studying. Like I could get those grades without trying. 
if I actually studied at all, I'd probably have been a straight A student all through school, but I couldn't be bothered. The shift did once I hit college and tried to do that and failed out and had to like get back in and bring my grades up. And I ended up graduating. It took me a long time, but I, I got the stupid diploma. And my degree was in corporate communications, which is sort of entertainment related because communications can be. Um, but like I didn't take, I took one audio engineering course and I didn't learn anything from it other than how much I love Abbott and Costello beyond <laughs> that like like everything from editing to recording to podcasting to engineering I taught myself that just by trying to figure it out and the only reason I'm any good at it now is because I've done it for so long and I probably still don't even do it right I just do it my way and it's effective um, but it was never the plan from a school perspective. I probably would have been much, and I have considered going back to school for en sound engineering and other stuff. And like, there's actually DJ schools where they teach you different types of mixing and stuff. And I'm like, but it's school and I don't want to go to school. Um, that said, there's like Skillshare online, which I hear is really good. And so like, I've dabbled in the idea of going back to that, but it was it, creating was absolutely never the plan, even though I always had creating in my blood. Um, it wasn't until I accidentally happenstanced into burlesque, which is a brilliant and incredibly nerdy art form, um, and made friends like, like I, this may come as a shock to the listeners, especially if you see a photo of me, but I was a geek. I know mind blowing. <laughs> no one can imagine it. And so I was pretty meek and pretty shy for many, many years. And so when I started getting into burlesque, I was still fairly shy. And like my lizard brain was like, oh my God, there's all of these pretty women and men they've got to be like, you know, super smart and they're not going to want to talk to me and they probably don't like anything nerdy. And I was so wrong. Like these, these powerful dominant personas on stage. Like one of my favorite stories is a, one of my favorite performers. Like she's got this badass like ass kicking persona on stage and she's so shy backstage. But like we became friends because we both love Jason Statham movies. Wow. Gushed over <laughs> Jason Statham movies. Like burlesque taught me to think outside the box and defy expectations. And it also, years later, also helped me re-identify with my own queerness. Like, I identify as a bisexual. I do identify as male. But, like, for a long time, even though I was always queer, I was never not queer, I was never sure if I was still queer and, like, I married a woman, so, like, according to society, I pass as straight. And, like, I was always afraid, like, I was kind of imposing or, like, faking if I was, like, in a queer community. And it turns out, of course, that's wrong. Like, by erasure is a big thing and by visibility is really important. But through the burlesque community, I found other people like me or people who, like, pulled me out of my shell a bit and helped me kind of figure out who I really was. And all of that made me more confident to pursue other things. Um, and that, that burlesque really made me want to pursue other forms of art. It also had me re-engage with my nerdy love of music in a way, like helping performers think of songs for acts or creating a playlist that's all superhero related or makes me think of superheroes. Like all of that stuff brought out creativity in a way that I just never expected it would, which was, was really cool. Well, this is a, it's been a really great podcast. This has been a really great interview. I'm so thankful that you, you said, okay, to come on. Uh, I think we are kind of a kindred spirit. So just talking more this whole this whole hour has been like, yeah, it's very similar. It's very similar stories. 
Yeah, I mean, I I listened. To, I've listened to quite a number of episodes of your show, and like our interview style is definitely very similar. And I think, I think what's interesting about creating podcasts is that there aren't really any rules. There right. are, but there aren't because, like a lot of other modern creation, like YouTube and streaming, you if you have an audience, you set the rules. They're coming for you, so you kind of get to dictate what form that takes. And I think that's really important. And I think it's something that's easy to forget. Yeah, very true. So, uh, it's been, uh, it's been an hour. So, you know, Matt, wait, wait, before I, before we start the, the all the sign off stuff, <laughs> because you mentioned the TARDIS earlier, is the Stormageddon part because of Dr. Who? Yes. So yes. do you want to know the, do you want to know the origin of how I became DJ Stormageddon? I would love to hear that. So um, uh, the podcast, the burlesque producing team, um, well, actually, I will focus on one member of that team because I mentioned her earlier, Nasty Canasta, one of my closest friends in the burlesque scene. Before I was involved in burlesque, um, she with um, her partner would host bad movie nights where we'd go watch really crappy movies and just yell at the screen. And um, at a screening of Westworld, the movie, which is definitely Ooh. not as good as the TV show. No. Um, though, though it has Yul Brenner, and Yul Brenner looks awesome in it. He's a badass <laughs> android. Um, like, we became friends just by cracking jokes. And uh, Nasty and I grew closer, and they were also producing their burlesque show at the time at the way station. And so... Um, I wanted, I was going, I was just attending. I was a fan. I was always in the front row and having a good time and hooting and hollering. And at one point, um, when I had been on a, a period of unemployment, um, one of the producers wrote on Facebook, man, I wish I were rich so I could hire an assistant because I have so much stuff to do and I need help. And I went, look, I have no job and too much time. I will do things for free for you, uh, which he never let me do for free, by the way, because you should always pay everybody for all of their services. Yes. Um, but like I started doing the door for these shows and I started doing, you know, like I would uh, take tickets or stamp hands or help people find their seats. And he started introducing me, this, the other producer, as Stormageddon because my last name is Storm. And it was it was shortly after... Uh, his name is Doc. After shortly after that episode had aired, he just started calling me Stormageddon, and it stuck. And to the <laughs> point where, in the early days, I would introduce myself to other performers, and I'd be like, "Hi, I'm Matt Storm." And then Nasty would come and go, "No, your name is Stormageddon. Use your name." <laughs> and so, once I started DJing more regularly and creating a persona, as you will, on the internet, I was like, well, "I might as well lean into it, right?" Maybe the BBC will come for me, but I mean, they claim it's a name and you can't copyright a name because people have names. Uh, so uh, I was Stormageddon or Stormageddon Dark Lord of All. I used to wear a button that said Stormageddon Dark Lord of All uh, <laughs> on my lapel that a friend got me. Uh, uh, yeah, and it was it was absolutely born of Doctor Who and being a regular at a Doctor Who bar. And now it's come full circle because although I haven't gone to that bar in a while, they have a drink called the Stormageddon. Um, and I would go and, and this adorably sweet young woman comes up to me and goes, Oh my God, you're DJ Stormageddon. Did they name this drink after you? <laughs> and I laughed so hard. And of course I said, no, it's named after the character from Dr. Who. And I told my friend that story. He's like, you're an idiot. Why wouldn't you just say yes? Yes, There's just no say harm. yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's where my, my name comes from. Doc and Nasty Canasta started calling me that it stuck. And then I leaned into it and now it's my whole brand. 
That is an awesome story. I love that story. <laughs> All right, Matt, if you could, uh, once again, uh, where can people find you online? So the best place to find me online is at DJ underscore Stormageddon on everything. I'm that on Twitter. I'm that on Instagram. I'm that on TikTok. You can find me pretty much anywhere. I'm uh, twitch.tv slash DJ underscore Stormageddon there as well. Um, pretty much everywhere. If you Google Stormageddon Burlesque or just uh, Stormageddon New York, maybe even just Stormageddon, I should come up. Um, I mentioned all of my podcasts earlier. The easy shortcut is to just go to certainpov.com to listen to any of the shows that I do. Mitch was a guest on uh, Screen Snark. Uh, that's out now. He will be a guest on future stuff as well. I am positive of it. Uh, but yeah, I think if all of that is too much, twitter.com slash DJ underscore Stormageddon. Perfect. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I am at Mitchipedia, G-E-M-G-E-M, stands for Geek Elite Media. The rest of Geek Elite Media is at Geek Elite Media on Instagram, at Geek Elite Media on Twitter, and facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Media is our Facebook page. Check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on our website, geekelitemedia.com. But this has been Hey Mitch on the Geek Elite Media Network saying, always remember to geek, geek out. Geek out. This concludes our broadcast. Beep.